Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Charlotte. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Cody Saftik's on the line. Producer Megan is on the sticks. The gang's back together, bre- breaking down UFC Charlotte. This episode of Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of Dogger Pass Pro- Podcast are brought to you by PrizePix. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Not the greatest card. We're kind of, you know, we just had a pay-per-view, so it's like, we're back to a little bit more, you know, a little bit more of a greasy card. Next week's card is P.U. Absolutely stink fest. Just a horrible card altogether. I actually think there's a lot of really, really fun fights. A lot of fights that we've actually already broken down. Um, and then they were canceled. And now they ended up in Charlotte. But, uh, I mean, without further ado, Code, let's get into the main event. I, I'm not going to be shocked by who we pick in this one, but is the number a little bit out of hand? We got Jailton Almeida taking on Jairzinho Rosenstrike. Jailton Almeida is a minus 500 favorite. Rosenstrike can be had for plus 400. I mean, you never get a discount on the jail man, and I don't think until he takes a step backwards you're going to get one because the guy has just been cutting through everybody without any sort of issue he gets the takedown when he wants to and when he takes you down there his ground control his submission uh ability i mean the guy's just a peak peak athlete we kind of thought maybe he was going to go to two uh 205 pounds fight at light heavyweight and that doesn't really seem to be the case i think he's continuously getting bigger and plans to stay in this division and I mean, it's tough. Rosenstrike doesn't get down, taken down too many times. Blades took him down three times. Um, I mean, if Almeida struggles to get him down real early, we talk about Rosenstrike with the with the death touch, this could get real ugly really, really, really fast. Um, in terms of a pick, you know, this is the biggest difference in terms of, like, picks versus bets. I think Jailton gets the takedown. I think he gets it early. I think he... Uh, Beats the you know what out of Rosenstrike when he gets this fight to the mat, but at minus five hundred, they have taken all sort of questionable doubt out of me actually getting involved from a betting perspective. Like it's heavyweight, heavyweight volatility remains undefeated. I'm not going to fault anybody for taking like a Jairzinho Rosenstrike by KO prop or anything like that this week. Um, you probably end up losing, but I mean. The, the price is set up for you to take that shot and probably lose. But uh, we haven't really seen Jailton extended on the feet. If, he, if he's not able to get that takedown, things just get very, very interesting. So for a picks perspective, I guess it's Jailton Almeida, but I will not be betting that number. What's your take here? Yeah, a lot of the same sentiments as you. I got Jelton Almeida, but it's such a big favorite at this point that what can go wrong? Because what's been going wrong every single week, Paul, it's like Murphy's Law. What can go wrong has seemingly been going wrong. And and in this case, it's much of the same. I've got a big favorite in the main event. Well, what possibly could go wrong? Well, again, yeah, maybe best suited for 205 pounds. He don't look out of place, Jelton Almeida, as a heavyweight. The guy's absolutely cut up, looks like a Brazilian G.I. Joe action figure. And then goes out there and performs as well. But yeah, one has to imagine if he's not, you know, maybe putting himself at a disadvantage by fighting some of these bigger, bigger guys. Because what do they have on him? Maybe just a puncher's chance. In Rosenstruck's uh, case, he's a big heavyweight and he's got the death touch. He's got a hell of a shot on him. Not only that, his takedown defense, 75% of the UFC, I would deem it as trash. He's going to get taken down. But it's not necessarily 
necessarily that he's just going to get pounded out in the first round. He did manage to go uh, three rounds with Curtis Blades, gave up a takedown in every single round, wasn't able to get back up. Blades, not the kind of grappler that Jelton Almeida is. But like you're saying, like we haven't seen him extended. So even if he gets early takedowns and, and doesn't finish Jerzino Rosenstruck, could this become a sloppy heavyweight fight? In the second, third, fourth, fifth round, if it was to get that far. Yeah, probably. They're big guys. You know, one guy's absolutely jacked. He'll probably gas out. The other guy's Rosenstruck doesn't actually throw enough strikes to get gas. That's always his problem. He's just like way too hesitant. And I think that will be his undoing here is that, yeah, he's got a puncher's chance. So he needs to go out there and needs to throw his hands. But he's just super hesitant. Like he's got the touch, but he realizes that. And as a such, he doesn't throw combinations. He doesn't set it up. He just looks for that kind of one big hit or quitter. But the entries from Jailton Almeida on his takedowns are mint, man. Like he's getting down all these guys multiple times. He's ragdolling them once he gets them down. He's already fought at heavyweight a couple times. Shamil Abdurakimov, you know, yeah, he's in his 40s and he's not what he used to be, but he's a big boy. And you're going to throw around a big boy like that, like nothing, effortlessly and uh, show good gas tank in that fight for however long it lasted. I think Almeida's, I'm going to say the real deal. I'm going to say the real deal because who wins these fights in most scenarios is like the superior wrestler grappler. And heavyweight doesn't have a whole lot of these guys that can go out and wrestle grapple. Curtis Blades is kind of known as the guy, but apparently he just doesn't have the durability or the ring IQ to pull it off, right? Almeida is one of those elite level grapplers who can get his man down and give them problems. He needs to show a deeper gas tank. He needs to show his ability to do it at a higher level and this is his opportunity so seeing how volkov i know the fight didn't hit the ground but seeing how volkov just dismantled rosenstruck i don't know that his durability is good enough to get mounted and thrashed on for four minutes and survive so i think almeida gets the takedown i think he probably passes to mount or takes the back and i'm thinking he finishes him finishes him under one and a half if the fight was to get to that second or third round do you pull the panic button well you got to wait and see how how tired almeida is at that point because if he can still just rinse and repeat with takedowns easy money if he's curling over and he's tired and Rosenstruck's still standing there. You're going to have a problem. Maybe pull the shoot later on if it got that far. I'm thinking under one and a half. Jill Tolomeda. I'm thinking by TKO, not submission. Like, I think he just, you know, mounts him and pounds him out from that position. But again, anything's possible. Probably just inside the distance instead of trying to go with one specific uh, method of victory. I think one of these numbers is wrong on prize picks. They've got fight time set at four minutes, which is obviously super, super low. But when you've got one guy with the death touch, one guy with the grappling ability that's super, yeah. super elite, I, I don't think it's stunning. And then they got Jailton Almeida 1.5 takedowns, which I feel like wait, one can't be right without the other. I think if Jailton gets him down early... um. Then it, okay, so I I don't think that Rosenstrike gets back up. Like when when Rosenstrike's been taken down in most of his UFC fights, his get up game isn't great. He usually spends the rest of the round on his back. So it's like one of those is wrong, one of those is right. I'm actually tending to lean towards I think under I think it covers more of your tracks on Prize Picks, under, which is scary with Almeida because obviously he's shooting for takedowns right from the hop, but. Under one and a half takedowns, I think that covers you from, you know, heavyweight volatility. Somebody actually just landed, or Rosenstrike, or even Almeida, landing just an absolutely ferocious blow and his opponent being rendered unconscious. Or Almeida takes him down once, absolutely pummels him down there and, and gets the finish. Um, based on, like, the market right now, like, four minutes is probably pretty accurate in terms of how they've got it priced on prize picks. I don't, I'm not saying I love it on prize picks, but under one and a half takedowns has my attention at the very least. Um, if you think it's going to be a one-round fight, then absolutely. Because if you look yeah. at Jelton Almeida, he has scored over that one and a half in four of his five registered fights with uh, the UFC. 
UFC, one on contender series, sorry, where he beat Nasruddin Nasruddinov, three takedowns, right? His UFC debut against Daniil Marquez, two takedowns. Parker Porter, Parker Porter not great off his back, so he just needed the one and he smashed him. But Anton Turkaj can wrestle, Shamil Adirakimov can wrestle, he took each of them down three times. So, yeah, yeah, not necessarily a guy that just needs the one takedown, but in the case of Rosenstruck, how good's his get-up game? He was taken down by Overeem and controlled by Overeem on the ground. He got, you know, taken down by Blades and had absolutely nothing to show him. At least Volkov got up 22 times, and Rosenstruck couldn't get up once. So, yeah, yeah, I would say I'm leaning towards what you're getting at, probably, is the, the under one and a half. And then if you think it's under one and a half, you mean you think the fight's going to end in the first round because if yeah. not, the fight gets into the second round, those two takedowns. So you're implying first round finish, one takedown. Then the four minutes is accurate, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe he finishes them at the 4.30 mark, but yeah, probably. I, I would. I don't love the four minutes, but the one no. and a half, I could see. Like I could see him just finishing him with 20 seconds left on the clock, like not necessarily four minutes, like take the whole five minutes if need be. But yeah, I'm leaning towards that first round finish under one and a half, as I said, the under one and a half of the takedown. If you think it's going to be a first round finish, that's where you would go with it, too. I like it. Don't love it. think it's kind of scary trying to take a Jailton Almeida under takedowns prop. I will say that much. All right. Co-main event. We got Anthony Lionheart Smith taking on Johnny Walker. Straight pick him, homie. Who you got? Yeah. Okay. So we got basically a 50-50 fight here. And it's basically both guys, I think, can win the fight based on their skill set. But uh, we got to go over the question marks and who's going to find a way to shit in the apple pie. So let's start with Anthony Smith because I think if he was at his best, that he would be the favorite. He's got vastly more experience. You know that he can fight into these later rounds. And honestly, Paul, you've seen this time and time again. Anthony Smith, some of his best performances is when he gets thrashed early and is able to keep going, right? His fight with Hector Lombard, he's easily down. His fight with, uh, I think, Volcan News to me, or he was, yes, but the later the fights go, right? Andrew Sanchez, third round finish. Hector Lombard, third round finish. Um, Volcan News third round finish. Alexander Gustafson, fourth round finish. So again, he's somebody that I think can finish the later the fight goes, find a way to break his opponent down. Whereas Johnny Walker has that big explosiveness, those big, you know, athletic movements. But as a result, he's either getting these first round knockouts, yeah, or or he's probably going to tire himself out and just fights a, a lackluster type game plan. So I would prefer Anthony Smith style, which is just, you know, survive that early storm that Johnny Walker is going to bring to you and then slow him down, try to get the takedowns going. He's way better on the ground. You know, a legitimate Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, if he can get on top, he'll be able to suck some of that early energy out of him, slow him down to his pace, and then, you know, put a beating on him. Work your way towards that rear naked choke. Again, if I thought he was at his best, but 34 years old, that's not necessarily the issue. It's the 50-plus pro fights. It's the fights at 185 pounds and 205 pounds and strike force and almost 10 years in the ufc like anthony smith to me his body's definitely breaking down like again 34 not super old but yeah when you've got 50 plus fights you you become like a joe riggs joe riggs is paul age but if you've ever met joe riggs he's like 57 like his body's just completely thrashed his face is thrashed he's beaten up anthony smith i I get it he's he's three and one in his last four fights so recently not doing too bad but i key into that last fight with magomed and alive or like his leg is seriously busted up he's taken off 10 months since then you know he's not getting any younger uh johnny walker is an explosive dynamo if you're not fast if you're not you know if you've got some ring rust to shake off if you're not on point then yeah he's gonna get to you he's way faster he's better striker i think anthony smith's got a nasty jab on him but uh, johnny walker's got those big big explosive movements so part of me wants to just switch over to johnny walker and say ah he's been fighting recently he's been doing good recently he's got his confidence back he's got his swag back he's got more than enough power to clip anthony smith with something and even 
even if he doesn't clip Anthony Smith with something, he's got a much longer reach, and he could probably just play to the outside, use that speed, use that agility, and just win from the outside. But yeah, it's, it's Johnny Walker we're talking about. Like, it's, he's a hard trick guy to trust for the most part. So I think I'm just going to officially go with Anthony Smith, see what I can see at weigh-ins, and just hope that he's fully healthy and ready to go. Because again, him at his best, better wrestler than Johnny Walker, better jiu-jitsu than Johnny Walker. That jab of his, man, again, I mean, people want to talk shit about, oh, well, his jab, his jab. Just watch his fights, watch his fight with Glover Texera where he's piecing him up before, unfortunately, falling apart late. His fight with Jimmy Crew, you know, just nasty, just beating him from the outside. He's very fast. You know, he's high-level coaching, high-level ring IQ. That's why he's a broadcaster and, like, an analyst. Is uh, The guy sees things, and I think that he'll see the path to beating Johnny Walker, pick him apart, play it smart. But 205-pound guy is way easier said than done. So I could see him getting smashed with the flying knee, or I could see him coming out flat after a 10-month layoff or coming out slow, 50-plus fights is finally it's toll on his legs not fully healed i can see all the bad side of things for sure but i need to stay optimistic and optimistically speaking i think that at even money anthony smith's got a superior skill set all around so i'll take Lionheart to pull off a, a win in his comeback yeah i'm with you um I, I backed johnny walker last time out against uh against paul craig and people were pretty up in arms about that pick and i was just like he'll 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 play it pretty smart and john and paul craig is just so one-dimensional it's just like he needs to get you to the ground. He needs you to follow him a lot of the times to the ground because his his wrestling isn't great. Um, but like, yeah, Lionheart Smith's got a pretty well rounded game all the way around, and I mean it's he- light heavyweight. Both of these guys can crack. Both of these guys can knock each other out in the first round, and I think Walker is more more likely to get the job done early like that. But if if Anthony Smith's able to hang around for a bit, if he's able to secure some takedowns, I think he can definitely uh, capitalize over Johnny Walker here. So not a, not a fight I'm really, I, I feel like I have much of an edge on. I think a pick is probably pretty fair. Like it's a, it's a fight with a lot of volata- volatility, a lot of question marks that you brought up uh, on both sides. But I'll side ever so slightly with Anthony Smith as well. We move on. We've got Ian Machado Gary taking on Daniel Rodriguez. Minus 315 for Gary. Plus 265 for Rodriguez. I've been fading Ian, Ian Gary. I don't think his game's completely, completely filled out. But here's my struggle with Rodriguez. is I really don't think he has the skill set that I'm looking for in a Gary fade. Now, what do I know? I mean, I've been fading him against much lower level of competition. This is definitely a step up. He's got a guy who's a certified banger, a guy who can go 15 minutes, who can throw 100 significant strikes. But I feel like this probably turns into a 15-minute, you know, striking affair between the two of these guys. And you got Gary with super, super long reach. His technique is pretty strong. Um... I think it's going to be one of those things where the fight goes to decision and Ian Gary, it's kind of, you know, very, very close decision. Ian Gary gets on the mic afterwards, pretends that like, you know, he just delivered, uh, delivered, you know, uh, you know, Jesus Christ in the moment. Uh, He's like, he's done the greatest thing for MMA, but I think it's going to be like a close contentious decision. And I think Gary's going to edge him out. Minus 315 isn't great. I actually added him to a parlay at minus 250 um, at a book that was kind of slow to move, but it's not even a really big play on that parlay. Um, 
Uh, I just I've, I've backed D Rod in a lot of spots, and I just don't think this is the the spot for him to get back on track. If I knew that he could come out here and like utilize some wrestling, then I would be interested in it. But I haven't really seen much of that in his game whatsoever. So I think Gary's the rightful favorite, uh, minus 315. It's getting pretty ugly at that price, though. What's your take? Yeah, yeah. This is the price that definitely throws you off. I mean, Ian Gary's someone that's just had a ton of support right from the get-go. His UFC debut against Jordan Williams, he's a minus 425 favorite. And again, he's losing the first round before Williams just runs headfirst into a counter and got himself KO'd. So minus 425 favorite in his debut. Didn't really look good until he got the finish. All the same, you move on. You know, he goes the distance with Darian Weeks as a minus 400 favorite. He goes the distance with Gabe Green as a minus 250 favorite. And then his last time out against Song Kanam, the easiest of all of his opponents so far in the UFC, he comes in as a registered minus 770 favorite. And again, he gets knocked down early by Song Kanam. He didn't necessarily look good until he found a way to start uh, using his, you know, infinite gas tank, solve speed. And um, he, he, when you're fighting a low-level guy like Song Kanam, like... He, you're going to find your openings. And he did any TKs in the third round. So I like his cardio. I think the kid can fight for three rounds. If they eventually booked him in a five-round fight, depending on the opponent, if he got into those championship rounds, I think he's still going to be fresh. That's one aspect of the game I like about him. He seems to have some some decent mobility, some decent speed. But uh, defensively, like he's no marvel. He's there for the counter. Song Kanon can clip him. Other guys are going to do exactly that. Daniel Rodriguez more of a ball volume puncher than a, than a pure power puncher so maybe gary's chin's good enough to check out in that situation but yeah listen he thinks he's the next coming of conor mcgregor and the facts are 25 still young definitely going to keep getting better trains over at sanford mma or whatever they change their name to kill cliff fc uh the black zillions essentially he's training with world-class guys no doubt he is improving but yeah they they got to match him up soft or he's going to get exposed and daniel rodriguez i don't necessarily know that i would call him soft so because of the line if you're just an underdog chaser, if you're a value boy guy, I think you got to go with Daniel Rodriguez. He's got way more experience. He's fought way better guys than Ian Gary. He's got enough. Um, Again, he's someone that has gone out there and scored over 100 significant strikes in a couple of fights. So he's got the volume. He's got durability. What's there not to like? On the other side of it, it's like, yeah, it's it looks like it's more of a matchup that's favored towards Gary because he's faster. Daniel Rodriguez, I believe, 37 years old now, only 25 veteran, but he himself is starting to slow down. I thought his last two fights, he looked no good uh he took the jing liang lee fight on a day's notice but jing liang lee moved up 10 pounds from 170 to 180 so jing liang lee was at the disadvantage and a split decision win for daniel rodriguez definitely one that i think you could have scored for jing liang lee as well it was a very close fight and then in his very next fight with neil magni gives up five takedowns and just gets routed on the ground that's a problem now ian gary hasn't really shown much uh, wrestling i think his offensive grappling is okay once the fight is on the ground but i don't know how good his wrestling is so I can't say for sure that he'll be able to take down Daniel Rodriguez whenever he wants. But if he just, again, plays the matador to the outside, uses that speed, uses that lateral movement, picks and chooses his shots, and then mixes in a couple takedowns along the way, he should win. But should and need him to do certain things, at minus 305, at 3-1 to one as a favorite, he's prime for the taking. Guys, like, you're not the only one that's been trying to fade him. A bunch of guys have been trying to fade him because they can see he's really not all that good. Mm -hmm. It's which opponent is going to be the guy to expose him daniel rodriguez is hands down the best guy he's fought so may maybe he's the guy maybe he's the guy but uh yeah i don't know that i got the cojones myself to pull the trigger outright so i would just lean towards pass but unfortunately we can't pass so it's dog or pass and i, I i'm gonna end up taking the dog daniel rodriguez but it would be the prp pick like it would be all the way at the bottom the confidence level isn't quite there but it's a value pick and and, and i, I could see him winning as well so for the odds i'm picking him 
but not because of the analysis. Fair enough. All right, we got uh, Alex Morono taking on Tim the Dirty Bird Means. Morono is a minus 235 favorite. The Dirty Bird can be half plus 200. Who you got? Yeah, so we talked about last week or two weeks ago with Julian Arosa. Like Julian Arosa's got a wicked good skill set, man. The guy can wrestle. He's got very deep cardio. He's got very nice striking. He's very fluid. But like that one little thing of his game that he missed was his ability to take the punch. And unfortunately, you just can't back guys like that, right? They they have durability issues. They can be fighting a world class opponent get caught they can be fighting a very low level opponent and get caught and so uh back fernando padilla at slight dog money for no other reason than julian rosa no longer could be trusted you got dropped a whole pile of times and ends up getting stopped right it's not like any, we're a genius here it's just that you're following the trend that you don't want these guys with durability issues when i look at uh tim means tim means has got a world-class skill set the guy is an elite level striker when he's at his best very tricky with his setups his timing and his rhythm is very offbeat um solid footwork defensively he could roll a little bit more with his but again he has an awkward style tough to get timing on he can wrestle he can grapple and when he's in shape he can fight for 15 full minutes but he's so untrustworthy at this stage of his career because again here's a fighter that's 39 years old and he's got 50 pro fights so the durability is going to leave you the speed's going to leave you the reflexes of the timing is going to leave you and him similar to a rosa uh, he doesn't fight with a high guard he doesn't fight with the type of style where he defends himself he fights out with an all-action style and you're gonna need some durability to get by doing that so his last couple of fights you know he was looking good against kevin hall and eventually gets caught eventually gets submitted his fight with max griffin a lot more competitive than i thought it would be but uh and it, by the way a split decision fight but you you can see where he's slowing down as the fight goes on you can see where the wear and tear starting to add up for him again a guy that can on his best day beat a lot of guys in the division but at 39 50 fights into his career his best day is a little bit behind him so him at his best probably gives alex morono all types of fits but at this point i think morono coming off a knockout loss to santiago ponzinibbio so we got to see how that affects him but prior to that yeah he's got that kind of style where he'll just march you back take a couple shots land a couple shots and then have some volume it reminds me a lot of the donald cowboy Cerrone fight for alex morono where Cerrone is way better than alex morono at his best but morono's not fighting him at his best he's fighting an aged version of Cerrone who's kind of got one foot out the door at his best i think timmins gives him all types of problems again but this is not him at his best timmins have a good start if he doesn't get that knockout win the first three four minutes of the fight then i expect morona to just chew away at him force a late stoppage if morona comes out guns a blazing early and is able to back up tim means again he could probably take him out as well but rono's fought in good strikers before he's fought in donald Cerrone. he's fought in anthony pettis he went three rounds with santiago ponzinibbio his last time out it didn't go the full three rounds when he made it to the third round um i don't think that tim means is going to be able to just catch him off guard and knock him out in the first but it's possible because it is mma it is alex Morono is coming off a knockout loss. How does that affect him? And again, the Dirty Bird, maybe he's got one more uh, flight left in him. I'm, I'm just doubting it on a personal level. So we'll take Alex Morono to get the job done, which pains me because we've been doing this show for like nine years and we've been covering Tim Means' fight pretty much that entire time. He's an OG. We're going to talk about Matt Brown later. Another OG. That was a great fight between the two of them, by the way. But but again, it's like OGs. It's a young man's game. Like the sport eventually passes you by. I almost feel like... Uh, means is just not what he once was yeah no i i i see where you're coming from on that on that front um my biggest struggle yeah i just i just can't get behind the dirty bird at this point he seems to really absolutely gas about six seven minutes into every single fight um haven't seen much of a grappling game from morono 
in the UFC, but kind of curious, what is Alex Morono? The Rizma Key fight is like the only time. He's a yeah, BJJ black belt. I know. I don't know how, but he is. Everyone is a BJJ black belt uh, at <laughs> yeah, this level, yeah. buddy. John Gracie. Uh, it seems people are kind of onto it. They're they're reading the tea leaves that I am. We'll see where like the market goes from there. They opened it at nine at nine to one at one place, and people are scooping it up. So like that was kind of my initial thought is that it could be a little bit competitive early, but it's been a long time since Tim Means has knocked somebody out in the first round. Like, he's more of a volume guy, but then he gasses in, like, round two. Um, wouldn't be stunned to see, you know, maybe he has a little bit of success early. Alex Morono mixes in the takedowns and, and fishes for a sub, but people are wise to it. The markets are a lot sharper these days, Code. Because, um, yeah, I was just like, oh, this is, like, you know, a little bit out in left field. And it's just like, no, it already moved to from nine to one to six and a half to one. So somebody else out there is, uh, is seeing the same stuff that I am. Uh, Morono is both of our picks, obviously. All right, we got Court McGee taking on Matt the Immortal Brown. Minus 235 Court McGee, plus 200 for Matt Brown. Both of these guys, Cody, were declared legally dead, I believe, at, at some point in their life. Some of them, or wasn't Matt Brown's been like multiple times, or no, it's Court McGee multiple times. Either way, both of these guys have both guys have died, have seen the other side and came back. And then, I mean, it's a kind of a legends fight at this point. Matt Brown is really, really hard to back. I think in general at this point in his career, he's been an absolute legend. But I was talking to somebody else about this earlier, and it's just like. I think this fight could be super, super easy. I added a, I added Court McGee to like this chalk parlay that I was talking about earlier. It's it's Gary McGee and Olberg who we'll talk about later. I mean, Olberg's actually further up the card. They changed the bout order in between me making this sheet and uh, and us recording. So is what it is. But I think Court McGee can make this fight very easy on himself by sticking to the wrestling, getting up in Matt Brown's face and getting takedowns and securing them and holding them in position. You get them in front of a crowd and you in Charlotte and everyone's kind of excited and this turns into a greasy old guy striking affair. That that, that leg could be definitely uh, a little bit dicey. I think McGee wins. I'm going to give him, obviously, the grappling edge. And I think if he sticks to that type of game plan, it's a pretty easy fight for him to win. But you know these old guys, they, they could go out there and be like, you know, gentleman's agreement to go get fight of the night. So McGee will be the pick for me. What about you? Yeah, so actually that worst case scenario did happen to me one time before with Court McGee. Court McGee is minus 165 favorite, I believe, uh, rolling in against Carlos Condit, who had dropped six straight fights. Carlos Condit is done. Carlos Condit cannot wrestle. Carlos Condit had given up. Take down to Damian Maya and then sub right away. Six takedowns to Neil Magny. Three takedowns to Cowboy Oliveira. Four takedowns to Michael Chiesa. He fights Court McGee, who attempted zero takedowns. Court McGee instead just stood with him and kickboxed the whole time and lost because Carlos Condit is actually still a not bad kickboxer. So, like, why would you do that? But yeah, it goes back to your gentleman agreement thing he said kind of afterwards like oh i'm friends with carlos condit and you know we've both been around for a long time and you know i wanted uh i wanted to please the crowd i didn't just want to like, take him down and grind on him which is what everybody had been doing to him recently i want to have this fight with him and unfortunately having this fight for the crowd is one thing it's honorable 
for the better, ooh, not what you're kind of looking to get behind because I need him to fight a winning game plan, not an exciting game plan. So I think 38 years old, the guy's trials and tribulations, you know, the ultimate fighter, he lost, he comes back on the show. All great stuff for Court McGee, right? Matt Brown, he has all the same things. Former Ultimate Fighter veteran, died of a drug overdose, has this crazy comeback story, you know, has paid his dues and is a striker. Now, which could be a send-off for both guys, do you go out there and have a gentleman's agreement? Let's just have some fun and, and throw down one last time, you know, Ed Herman, Zach Cummings style. We both can retire afterwards. Or do you fight what is the winning game plan? Yeah, I would need Court McGee to wrestle a lot more. But I will say this with Matt Brown, right? As both guys, I used to have this theory. Uh, I used to have this theory, right? Once you died of a drug overdose and came back and then later became a professional prize fighter, you had like infinite cardio because Court McGee died, came back, and like the guy has gas tank for days. He has a, sure. like a bottomless gas tank. Matt Brown came back. He had the endless gas tank. Ian McCall, he died. He come back. It was like, you know, the guy arguably beat Demetrius Johnson. Had they gone to a sudden death victory round, he wins this fight. All I'm saying is it was like that was a theory. Oh, Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon died of a drug overdose he comes back and it's like that's his thing dude the guy's got 15 minutes cardio all day so that was the theory right it was kind of a joke but it was also like has anybody else died in the ufc i don't think so so how else can you compare the four guys that have all had great gas tank matt brown at 42 years old the gas tank's not there anymore i think that was one of his deepest weapons is that you saw him get rocked against jordan mean you've seen him get rocked against uh, Eric Silva, you've seen him get rocked against tim means and he comes back in all those fights because he had an endless gas tank he could take that early wear and tear and then come back. But now that his chin's not what it used to be, the durability's not what it used to be, the speed, the reflexes, the timing, the defenses, all of those things just aren't quite what they used to be. He's looking to wrestle a lot more. Like he went in that Brian Barberena fight. He scored five takedowns over Brian Barberena, which is the way to fight Brian. Don't get me wrong. But that's not Matt Brown. That's not how he fights. Like whenever Brian was standing with him, he was getting hit. He was getting shelled. He was looking to clinch up and take him down. It was a close fight. It was a competitive fight. You could argue Matt Brown won it because he had the takedowns, but again, he was taking a lot of damage in that fight, and it's a while ago. Since then, he's you know he has his own gym. He mostly trains at his own gym with Mark Coleman, who's like, you know, on the comeback from like a near death experience. So like, even though he's an OG legend, like I don't know how much of a training partner he would be to you at this point. And outside of that, it's just like some younger students that he's got, AJ Dobson, you know, like some, some younger guys in the gym that are helping him get ready. But I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that I could just, I can't get behind him. I really can't. Whereas, Corey McGee, I think he's got the better gas tank. So if this thing gets into late second round, third round, I think he'll still be around. His kickboxing is good enough to fight Matt Brown at this stage of both of their careers. And again, if he just decides to wrestle a little bit, he'll definitely be able to take him down, crude some top control time, and win that way. So I got to go with the durability and the cardio, which both still favor Court McGee. So I, I too will take Court McGee, but uh, it's an old man legends fight. Which I am so down for. Don't get mm -hmm. me wrong. Like this is the people's main event as far as I'm concerned because I'm a mega fan but i'm not expecting it to be all that good it could be chuck liddell versus tito ortiz three like nothing could be that bad but you know what i'm saying like don't have high expectations for the glory days because like the glory days just ain't there anymore i like this card not on a betting perspective but on a like respect perspective there's a lot of og legends in my opinion on this card guys that have paid their dues bunch of 50 plus fight veterans in this case you know a 42 fight veteran and a 33 fight veteran i believe but guys that have been around the block but as a result gonna be greasy it's gonna be a greasy card in carolina that starts at 11 30 in the morning for whatever reason all right we got uh carl williams taking on chase sherman a fight that we already had a three to one uh shoey 
bet on, and Ooh. Sherman pulled out like fight day on fight day. I think it absolutely like smacked around people's like DFS lineups, um, which is I mean pretty tough tough scene. Uh, you know Williams was obviously for you know grapplers pay off pretty well and that type of stuff. Williams was super super chalky, and um, people were not pleased about it. Um, I'm not entirely. I'm looking up right now. Like, why did Chase pull out that day? That is a little is bit of concern because, like, I I'm not to a, go to Slamtown. I'm not a, I'm not a coward, so it's not like I mean we had the deal before. I feel like we probably just have to run the deal back because we haven't done a shoey in a while. So a three to one shoey is back on the table. I just slid it over to your people. Whether your people accept the terms of said deal is uh, is totally on you, but um. Yeah, I mean, him pulling out makes me a little bit more hesitant on it. I haven't added him. I haven't made a bet on him this time. I'm more interested in watching the markets move. Maybe if we get to plus 400, I, I'll have to I'll have to partake. But, uh, I mean, I can make – I understand all of the cases for Carl Williams. Chase Sherman's very, very easy to take down. Carl Williams has shown in his UFC fights that he is coming forward. He is looking for takedowns. The only way that this gets ugly for him is if he just decides to stand and trade. And even if he stands and trades, not like Chase Sherman is the most durable guy on the roster by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I mean, he was lucky to get to the final bell against Waldo. Um, he ate some big shots there. And then, you know, Waldo goes out there and looks kind of rudimentary in his follow-up performance. So I understand why. the I'm a little bit more, like, understanding of why the line is the way it is right now. Um, I'm going to say heavyweight volatility for the purposes of the show. I'm picking Chase Sherman, but I'm a little bit more hesitant, a little bit less gung-ho than last time. Maybe the only bet I'll have on it is... Uh, is our shoey bet that uh, if if you accept that is unless you if unless you want the way out the back door which wouldn't be shocked no I'll take it uh, yeah if Carl Williams was the one that pulled out on the day of the fight the last time yeah I probably would be thinking about it but no I feel even better now than I did the last time Chase Sherman I feel like um, Chase Sherman's done the UFC favors and the UFC's done Chase Sherman a lot of favors they've matched him up incredibly soft over his tenure over his couple of tenures and mostly against like stand and bang guys that are a little bit slow a little bit lethargic and last time out they gave him Waldo uh, Cortez Cortez Acosta sorry who's got pro boxing experience and is very much middling and uh, Chase Sherman went out there and took him down mounted him the first round gassed out after that got beat up got out struck like 147 to 66 and looked awful I think the UFC is like, oh, yeah, that's not how you're supposed to fight that guy. You're supposed to stand and bang for the crowd. We gave you your type of fight, and you try to grapple the guy. Um, now you can take on a grappler, buddy. So now he's taking on Carl Williams. Fight gets canceled. If he was still in their good graces, they would just offer him a stand-up opponent. Instead, they just rebooked the same fight. So he knows at this point he needs to show up, take his beating to Carl Williams, hopefully still have a UFC job, and they'll book him in some fun fights down the road. But, it's yeah, it's time for him to uh, pay the piper, essentially. When you look at the main event, heavyweights, you know, I talked about it. It's like, what was the price? Do you feel comfortable with this kind of price? Eh, eh. But they're not middling heavyweights. They're world-class heavyweights. We don't love Rosenstruck, but he's still a top five, top ten guy. And Jonathan Almeida, well, he might very well be the truth. This is middling heavyweights, Paul. And as you always discuss, the big plus money price tags on middling heavyweights, anything can happen. Because Jonathan Almeida, not, maybe not really a heavyweight, but he don't look at a place at heavyweight. 
Carl Williams, not really a heavyweight either. He's had two fights at heavyweight. Don't think he's the biggest guy going, even if he clocks in at 240, 250. Like his frame and structure is not very, very big. But the thing with these light heavyweights that move up, like a John Jones, I guess, is he's going to be a lot faster than a lot of the heavyweights. Simply just being that smaller guy, having that mobility, having that agility. And if you can wrestle, which a John Jones can, and a Jelton Almeida can, and this in this case, a Carl Williams can, yeah, you'll take the bigger man down. They don't seem to have issues with that. His last time out against Brzezinski, you know, Brzezinski's only 236 pounds. So he's not the biggest guy going, but Williams just tossed him around. And again, we broke this down the last time we broke this fight down. At the end of the first round, you've already won the first round. There's no point in exerting yourself for no good reason at the end. End of the first round, he picks up Brzezinski up in the air and German suplexes him on his head. Total waste of energy. It looks like he's tired, and it seems like it's a bonehead move. And then second and the third round, rinse and repeat, right back to it. He didn't really gas. Brzezinski gassed from trying to carry Williams' weight the whole time, and that's what I expect out of Chase Sherman here. So, yeah, middling heavyweights, puncher's chance, I get it. With Rosenstruck, he's got a legitimate puncher's chance. He hits you, you're going down. Chase Sherman can hit you 140, 150 times, and in a lot of cases, is still fine so like his puncher's chance is not really as big and crazy and worrisome as a year as you know Rosenstruck so for that reason yeah I'm definitely not switching the pick taking Carl Williams the issue that I've been having every week is to me Carl Williams ends up on the top ticket this week but Carl Williams is not a real heavyweight mm -hmm. he's extremely middling he's not good he's just fighting a guy that's even worse and I and he's like four to one five to one I'm gonna trust this guy as a top ticket play so people will hit me up be like you're an idiot you're an idiot it's like he just seems like he's the most safest guy in the card that he should win, but that doesn't mean he's good. It's just I'm going by this style clash that I perceive as being good in my head. Uh, yeah. Anyways, time will tell, but I, I got to go with Williams. I mean, here's the thing about Chase, too, though, is that like he's not exactly like a power puncher. Yes, he did knock down Ike Villanueva, um, <laughs> and he yeah. knocked down Rashad Coulter. Those are like his two knockdowns in his career. He's more of a volley. Oh, I guess Vandera as well. He knocked down, but like he didn't put those late guys away. Like, late in the third round, Vandera super super tired turns into that type of fight. Um, so I mean, if Williams has any sort of beard on him, he should be able to take a little bit of punishment. Which on prize picks at three three takedowns for Carl Williams, he got eight last time out against Breski. Um, doesn't seem to have like, I like a the over. I like, I the, like over. the over yeah. too. That's what I was saying is that he doesn't seem to have like a big time like submission threat when he gets fighters down there. Um, eight times, yeah, against Breschke. We know that Chase Sherman struggles. I mean, in like two minutes, Romanov was able to take was able to get to three takedowns, and then he finished him with a key lock. Um, he was able to yeah. take Sherman down three times. So it's like. We know that Sherman's got a half-decent get-up game. He's a pretty big body for for heavyweight. I think you could probably clear three takedowns. And this fight is like, it's ever so slightly, sh you know, it's shaded to minus 140 to the under two and a half rounds. So it's like, uh, there's a good chance that this goes 15 minutes. Um, and if this fight goes, if this fight gets into round three, I feel pretty confident that um, that Williams gets well over three takedowns so over three takedowns kind of like that on prize picks as well um moving on down we've got cody stamen taking on douglas silva d'andrage minus 145 for stamen plus 125 for d'andrage 
I've been back in like Dion Josh in a whole bunch of spots, and I and I feel like a lot of the times it's because I think the market is kind of disrespecting him. He's a he's obviously a specimen of an athlete. He's got the guy's just like I mean, if somebody were to be on roids, they would look like Douglas Silva, Dion Josh. The guy's like in his late thirties and just gacked. But it's like he goes out there and he's you know plus one seventy against Sergey Morozov. Um, he's a big dog against Saeed. Uh, he was reasonably priced against Gaetano Perello. Uh, Lerone Murphy is a massive dog against him. So it's like, he's perpetually underrated. Now I feel like he's got a pretty decent sized step up in competition. And the number is not as alluring as it's been in a lot of fights. Um, I'm going to side with Stamen here. I think Stamen at one, one and a half takedowns on prize picks seems a little bit low. I think he goes into this matchup and really utilizes his wrestling. I know he hasn't, he's been trying to show some of his hands in, in previous matchups, but that's how you get in trouble against Douglas D, uh, Silva D Andrade. If you're just throwing leather, then, then good luck with that. Um, I think Stamen can fight this one smart. Minus 145 doesn't seem too bad to me. Just, don't need a big shot and uh, put a pace on this guy. So, yeah, Stamen for me, I just don't I, – I was kind of expecting this to be more like minus 200 plus 170, to be perfectly honest. What's your take here? So, if I gets announced, I'm a huge Cody Stamen fan, not just because he's got a badass first name. But, again, I'm, this guy's very good, very well-rounded. He fights top-level competition. And how could you not get behind him? So, uh, I feel like Cody Stamen definitely goes out there and wins this fight. I expect it to be lined about minus 200, and I'm willing to pay the minus 200. I see the minus 145, and it sinks in on me. I'm like, you know what? It is a trap line. And the, and the people that are betting the Douglas D and Drosh site, they, they got a decent pick. I am still going to go Stamen, but hear me out on this. Why it feels trappy to me anyways. Cody Stamen's a badass, man. The guy can wrestle. He can strike. He's fought in some of the best guys. When you look at who the UFC's matched him up against, yeah, Sidner Magomedov, um, Lerone Murphy, Peter Yawn. Uh, sorry, uh, he's fought... No, that, that's sorry. That's the other way. He's fought a Sidner Magomedov, Rob Devashvili, Jimmy Rivera. So it's a three-fight three fight losing streak. At the time, Jimmy Rivera's top-ranked guy, Rob Devashvili, basically the current goat right now in the division. Sidner Magomedov, guy's on a completely good run. So they give him a favor by giving him the Eddie Wineland fight. It's like a, hey, man, thanks for taking the really tough ones. Here's a free win. Knocks out Eddie Wineland in the first round. Looks good. Now he rolls into this Luan Lacerda fight. Well, I load up on him. He's a top-ticket guy. I think a lot of people have a lot of faith in him in that spot. Here's the thing, man. He gets very cute in there. The rest's like non-existent. She's two takedowns, easily stuffed, and then just backs away. In fact, he gives up a takedown in almost two minutes of top control time to Luan Lacerda, who's making his UFC debut. Not only that, but I mean, like, the rounds were really close. He was landing the more volume, but I mean, they're like jabs from the outside. They're low kicks from the outside, whereas Lacerda was landing the more damaging blows. Now, this comes down to a razor-close split decision, similar to Chaos Williams' fight against Bedoya this weekend. Like, I think we won, but I don't feel good about it. And Stamen gets the decision. So just out of curiosity, I'm like, did everybody else agree? And I look, and uh, Wrestling Observer, Combat Press, Cage Side Judges, Bloody Elbow, Bloody Elbow again, Sure Dog, MMA Junkie, Sure Dog again. Actually, four guys from Sherdog. Everyone there scored it for Lacerda on a 29-28. So even though the volume was from Stamen, and Cody Stamen did actually outstrike him by the numbers and the volume in all three rounds, the heavier shots were coming from Lacerda. And again, that just leaves it subjective to the judges. What are they looking for? The the more accumulative damage or those big shots? Now, in Douglas D. Andrade's case, the guy's built like a fire hydrant. So taking him down is a problem. The guy's got solid takedown defense. Not only that, he's not a big volume puncher, so Stamen 
is definitely going to outwork him, I think. But he's got the big power. He's got those big eye-catching blows. If you just struggled against Luan Lacerda, you're going to have a lot of those same struggles against a guy like Douglas Diandraj. And not only that, with Cody Stammen, he fights world-class guys and he loses. You give him a pass. When he fights guys that he should be beating, he's not, other than Eddie Wineland, he's not necessarily looking like a million bucks in there. So he's prime for the taking. I just think that the volume... Diandraj not knocking out Stammen, I don't think. Cody Stammen's got a great chin. In. so it's volume versus power and i think the judges are going to go towards the volume but just watch back his last fight with luan serta where he's a sizable favorite he has advantages in the wrestling department in the volume department in the cardio department in the experience department and really doesn't put it all together very well mm -hmm. almost loses could have lost right i would not have cried a foul had i lost that fight but we won we took it we moved on now you see him again minus 145 price tag there is a little bit of hesitancy there the guy he's just bought a house he's got a family he's, he's He's got so many things going on in, uh, in his life outside of fighting that if he doesn't show up at his absolute best, could be a problem. Could be a problem. And the, the last thing is Douglas D'Andrade. If you've seen the guy without a shirt on, he's a problem, man. The guy's so jacked. He's always in shape. He's always ready to go. He just represents a dangerous opponent, a difficult opponent. So uh, I think Stamen wins. I think Stamen wins. But again, I, I feel like I could get owned on this one. Fair points. Fair points. Um, and like even, I mean, probably... When you look at his record, Douglas Silva de Andrade, his best performance or his best win on his record, a win in 2018 against Marlon Vera. He got 97 significant strikes there. Usually he's pretty low volume, and that's where Stamen could beat him. But, you know, the more you kind of talk, talk to me about it, it's like this line seems pretty accurate. Um, I mean, Stamen's going to have to lean on the Stamen's going to have to lean on the wrestling because it gets ugly if he doesn't. Um, that's that's all yeah. I'm gonna really get to say. Sorry, what were you gonna say? Yeah, that's fair. Well, two fights back is fight with Sergey Morozov. Like he's getting owned in the first round. Like, Morozov takes him, he drops him, he takes him down in the first round. He's pounding on him. It's borderline 10-8 first round. But he doesn't put him away. Stamen's not really want to put guys away. So yep. Douglas Diandraj in the second round, he scores three knockdowns over Sergey Morozov and then knocks him out. So it's a clean performance, right? You mentioned that Gaetan Prello fight, first round knockout. His fight with Hennen Barrow. Hennen Barrow wasn't considered shot at the time. But again, Hennenbrough outstruck him by the numbers, but the big significant blows, the damage, the you see it all the time in the UFC. One guy throws a three-punch combination. It's like a jab, you know, little right hand, and a leg kick. Nothing was super, you know, it was nothing, nothing landed super hard, nothing was super damaging, but you did still land three significant strikes. And the other guy just clubs him with a little overhand right. And what do you score? One guy's winning three to one on the numbers. The other guy just clubbed him with an overhand right. He's winning. He's landed the best shot. So I love volume, but volume is not necessarily everything. When people complain they got robbed in the scorecards a lot of the time, it's they feel their fighter did the more work. They worked them. They landed more shots. Look at this, man. It says we outstruck him every single round, but it's like, what were the shots? So Stamen kind of touch and go, touch and go, touch and go, which is fine. It wins fights. It's volume. It's great. But Douglas Diandraj is like looking for the kill shot. And these fans in Carolina, they may be cheering for that. And if they are, makes it dicey on a scorecard. So... If it was minus 200, I'd be like, mm-mm. But uh, uh, I think the bookmakers are smart. The players are smart. They got this thing pretty much lined a lot more proper. A minus 145. And at that price tag, yeah, I'm going to have to have a poke at my boy Cody Stamen. All right, we got uh, Carlos Olberg taking on Ihor Poteria. Minus 430 for Olberg, plus 360 for Poteria. This line's been getting steamed. And, I mean, this is the thing about it is that Ober comes into the U. Uh, I mean, he was on the contender series. He comes into the UFC, 
And I mean, round one against Kennedy and, Z- and Zetchikul, absolutely just puts on a clinic. The guy's landing just an obscene number of strikes, and it's almost like he got way too excited, and he absolutely gassed himself out. Well, he had 146 uh, significant strikes, and that fight was ended three minutes into round two. 146 significant strikes. Like, no no wonder you punch yourself out. He takes on Fabio Charant in the follow-up. It wasn't the most brilliant performance, but you could tell he's just like he minded his P's and Q's, stayed at range, fought really, really smart, and won a very, very no doubter, even mixing a little bit of wrestling, but like a no doubter decision. And then the the last two times, now he's picking his shots, but then capitalizing with knockouts. Like he's looking like Everything that you kind of hoped that he would be coming off of Contender Series, it's all coming together for him right now. Um, minus 430, minus 440. Number keeps growing and growing, and it's going to grow all week. But he made massive adjustments after that first fight. His striking's obviously super, super solid. And I know Ihor got you know the knockout in round one but it's like he was eating some shots against a uh, uh, battle tested and uh and frankly washed uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua in that first round he got the finish but it wasn't looking all that pretty it's like I don't think this is remotely competitive um when they when they strike at range and we've shown we see even seen with Holberg it's like he, he he's shown some flashes of wrestling and takedown defense it's like He's a decent prospect, and he's priced as such. Uh, he was the third leg of the parlay. It's just like, I'm trying new little things. I'm just trying to beat some steam at some books that are a little bit slow to the draw. But, like, I understand completely why Ulberg is the favorite here. The guy's been making uh, consistent improvements fight to fight. So, uh, I, I think he absolutely rolls here. What's your take? Yeah, I'm going to agree. I think Carlos Solberg's coming to his own. He's starting to swag out. He's got that confidence, and I think that's all he needed. When you came on the Contender Series, he's only like three and up. He's got no MMA experience. He's got some kickboxing experience. And the biggest thing is, he's Israel Adesanya's buddy. Apparently, they go hard rounds in the gym. The guy holds his own. He's a good-looking prospect. He's a good-looking cat. He's like offered a spot on New Zealand's version of The Bachelor. Yeah, he's popular, man. Why not sign this guy and bring him to the UFC? Smashes Bruno Oliveira on, on the Contender Series throw him in the UFC, they they give him a list, I guess, of like 10 people. And they're like, you pick whoever you want to fight. I'm sure he could have picked easier guys than Kenny and Jaku. He just figured this is going to be an entertaining fight. I'll blow through this guy's shirt. Picks a guy that's six foot five with an 83-inch reach. Currently on a three-fight winning streak in the UFC. Really not that bad. He picked him and had that crazy fight. So you're right about everything. The very next fight against Fabio Sherratt, conservative. Geez, I just gassed out. Let me take a different approach. But but now he's feeling himself. Now you're seeing that he does have very solid kickboxing. He does train with one of the best, if not the best, 185-pounder out there in Israel Adesanya. He, uh, he's getting in world-class rounds. He's got UFC experience now. He's got MMA experience now. He's able to grapple. He's able to afford to train at a higher level and eat better food and be more comfortable and relaxed in training camps. I think you're just seeing a continuous better version of him. 34 years old, right? But 34 years old, not battle-worn. Not battle-tested. Doesn't have 50, 60 fights under his belt. He's still kind of fresh in this. Still getting better. Still making improvements. So I think Carlos Olberg, something to like there. <clears throat> Eeyore, Eeyore is awful, man. So Eeyore fights on the Contender Series. 
And like, yeah, whatever. He pulls out. He's a wild man, right? He's got that Ukrainian uh, bit of like kickboxing. He's very wild. He's a uh, his approach is like hard to get some timing on because it's kind of quirky. But he's got some power. And he's willing to throw down, right? So he gets the win of the contender series. He fights Nikolai Negamarianu. Does not look good. Nikolai Negamarianu, who, for sake of reference, MMA math, gets blown out of there by Carlos Olberg in a non-competitive fight. Goes out there and does he, he chooses on Eeyore. I think the UFC. Sp- picked Eeyore specifically for Shogun because I think management realized Shogun's done. This is his send-off. This is his farewell. What's, like, reasonable? Is there anybody on the roster, like, maybe he could be? Yeah, Eeyore. You're not trying to give Shogun some killer on his way out, right? The UFC would have, back in the day, just been, like, who someone were looking to build up, but they didn't in this instance. They gave him probably the worst guy on the roster, the lowest level guy on the roster. Thing is, is that Eeyore is willing to bang, and that in itself is enough to beat Shogun. You just got to take some of the shots, walk through the fire, deliver it. Knocks out Shogun, a legend of the sport, a former world champion, and then does this stupid-ass Ukrainian dance right in the center of the ring. Total disrespect. So the UFC needs to, he needs to pay his dues now. Yeah, man, you don't pull that shit over legend. So they give him Ulbrich, and I expect Ulbrich to absolutely flatline him and knock him unconscious. But Eeyore will come to fight. Eeyore will come to throw down. But against, like, a precise technical kickboxer, yeah, puncher's chance, I get it. But, uh, yeah, if you come in swinging wild, he's going to counter you flush down the middle. And uh, that's what I'm thinking happens here. So Carlos Ulbrich under one and a half, Carlos Ulbrich by knockout. I like it. All right, we got uh, Natan Levy taking on Pete Rodriguez. Minus 230 for Levy, plus 200 for Pete. I mean, it's another fight that we already broke down before, and I think the we both picked Levy, I believe. Um, and the big question that we had here is just like, we don't really know what happens to Pete Rodriguez if a fight gets extended. Like, he's so new in the UFC, and we don't really know if he's got much of a grappling game, and he's... He's still kind of a work in progress. We don't have all of the answers for him. Every single, the longest fight of his professional career, at the very least, is two minutes and 59 seconds. Um, And that was a loss against Jack Della, who's an absolute stud. So there's no no worries in that. We've seen Natan Levy at least be able to withstand some damage. Um, And I feel like if... I mean, maybe Pete Rodriguez has some takedown defense that we're not really, really aware of. Um, but, yeah, if he can't extend, if he can't go a hard 15 minutes, then he's going to lose this down the stretch. I don't know if I necessarily love Natan Levy minus 230 preflop. Maybe a better spot to wait, make sure he survives the onslaught from Pete, who's very, very dangerous in the first five minutes. But I'll be looking for moments or a moment in time where it looks like Pete's uh, Pete's looking a little bit gassed and uh, hopping in live if the opportunity presents itself. But uh, Natan Levy will be the pick for me. What about you? Yeah, so your question, Mark, uh, it's one of mine as well. But so the big question for you and Pete Rodriguez is like, can he fight for more than three minutes? Which is an excellent question. The question for me is like, can the guy wrestle? Because mm. who's the best wrestler he's ever fought? And I'll tell you, you look at his record. George Olia, 2-2. Two two. Yasar Guzman, 0-1. Jose Rios Nava, 2-3. This Roberto Pixley. Well, Pixley didn't even shoot a take down. Jack Maddalena, I'm pretty sure, would be considered the best wrestler he's ever fought, but Jack never actually even shot a takedown. And his last time against Mike Jackson, please, come on. I don't know. 
that this guy can stuff a takedown, whereas I know with Natan Levy, he can shoot a takedown, and he will shoot lots of them. And to me, I think that's definitely something that would favor. Yeah, durability experience, the ability to fight th- past three minutes, all good stuff. But Natan Levy, last time out against Gennaro Valdez, I thought he didn't look all that good. You know, he was struggling a little bit on the feet with Valdez, but what bailed him out time and time again was the wrestling. Six takedowns scored against him. His fight with Mike Breeden, nine takedowns against Mike Breeden. His fight with Rafa Garcia, and Rafa's the dude that's putting takedowns on most guys, and he does take Levy down to seven, but Levy had three takedowns on him as well, had good scrambling. He actually comes from a uh, karate background. He's most comfortable, you know, moving linear, straight direction, um, staying on his back foot and throwing singular strikes. Like, that's what his base is. That's him at his most comfortable, but he's adapted to MMA that he's probably better at chain wrestling, shooting multiple takedowns, getting some of them. He has good gas tank. He's got good pace. He's got ability to wear on guys. And I think that's all good stuff here because in this specific fight with old Pistol Pete Rodriguez, one, we don't know if the guy can wrestle, but we know Natan Levy can. Two, we don't know if this guy can go for more than three minutes, but we know Natan Levy can. Of three, even if his striking was that good, Levy comes from a striking background. He trains at Syndicate MMA. He's got guys in the gym that are a lot better than Pete Rodriguez that he trains with on a day-to-day basis. He's... Just the he's, and not only that, I mean he's he's fought in multiple rounds in the UFC. I would consider that he has a lot more experience at this point. And Rodriguez, um, again, it's all about favors. So he takes the fight with Madalena as like a four to one underdog on like a week's notice and gets pulverized. So they give him Mike Jackson as a I'm sorry. But now it's time to sink or swim, man. You're either gonna do this or you're not. And I think it's not a great first fight when you look at it in that regard. It's not a hey, I might be able to spark this guy in the first three minutes like I normally do do hey i might be able to keep this thing standing and show everyone that i've got some deep cardio it's like you're probably gonna have to go 15 at the bare minimum against this guy because he could take one hell of a punch he trains with better guys at a higher level he's got more experience he's got better wrestling and his striking really ain't half bad either so could he get himself in trouble playing with the strikes from the outside yeah he could he did a little bit against Gennaro valdez but at the end of the day he shoots the takedown that's what's most effective that's what's going to get the job done and uh minus 230 yeah i get i don't like it but uh it's mma right the people that guys like they're gonna bet people like them they're betting them so the market moves the 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 price it's the bottom line i like them i think other people like them but uh could this be my this week's drew dober and he gets flatlined and (laughs) the end of the first round yeah yeah it could be because rodriguez throws heat and even though natan levy's got a hell of a chin so did drew dober so like dems to beats it's it's mma anything can happen and the tricky one with this too, in terms of prize picks, two and a half takedowns. I, I mean, I like the the more like, but the, that is very very reliant on like maybe Levy just takes him down and subs him immediately because we really don't know what type of ground game, if any sort of ground game, uh, Pete Rodriguez has. He's a very he's a he's a mystery wrapped up in uh like, Levy Levy. Levy went three rounds of Mike Breeden, right? And, and went three rounds of Gennaro Valdez. And you know the Contender Series, yeah. he subbed that Shaheen Santana. But he subbed him in the third round. So I, I'm thinking the over on the takedowns for that one. But you're absolutely yeah. right. It's like, why, why would you think that? Have you ever seen Pete Rodriguez get up a few times? It's like, no, I actually haven't. You ever seen Pete Rodriguez stuff a few takedowns in a fight? It's like, geez, I also haven't. One time as an amateur, but uh, he lost that fight. So... You know, what do you got to go off of, right? Um, yeah, it's greasy. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. It's just, you know, the the price. You're betting Natan Levy not because you like Natan Levy, more so because you don't really like Pete Rodriguez, and that makes it tricky. 
Yeah. I, I Yeah. I have too many questions about P. Rodriguez and his ability to fight 15 minutes, which he may need to do if he wants to pull it, pull this one out against Natan Levy. All right. We got Ji Yun Kim taking on a Mandy Bum. Minus 185 for Kim, plus 160 for Bum. Who you got? I mean, they don't call Bomb Bum for no reason, right? Like, she's shown absolutely nothing since coming to the UFC. When she was fighting for Bellator prior, like, she had a couple stints in, like, that uh, those Euro series for Bellator. She looked okay. She fought uh, a couple decent fighters. She fought for TKO up in Quebec. Like, Mandy Bomb at the time, because she wasn't quite Bum then, she, serviceable, decent grappling, decent striking, methodical, right? But uh, ever since coming to the UFC, she's, like, massively gun-shy. I don't know if it's nerves. I don't know if it's pre-fight anxiety. Whatever causes her to get in there, she just completely freezes up. Now, that first loss against Ariana Lipsky, I'm prone to give her a pass on that one because Lipsky turned out to be okay and has some decent credentials. It's her UFC debut. But if facts are facts, man, she got knocked down twice against Lipsky and got outstruck 87-36. She just allowed Lipsky to do whatever she wanted. No sense of urgency in the slightest bit. Just went through the motion. But again, UFC debut, uh, tough spot, you know, former KSW champion in Lipsky. Okay, fair. But what about this second fight against Victoria Leonardo? To that one, my God, it's so complacent, Paul, so complacent to just stand there and get outstruck. And again, gets outstruck in that fight. Um, sorry, she she landed, I think, 52 uh, to 39 against Leonardo, but backs up the entire time, gives up the two takedowns, didn't really seem to be in it. Eric Nixick, because she's in Vegas now, Eric Nixick's giving her her corner advice. He's one of the best coaches in the game, and he's telling her, you need to have a sense of urgency. You need to want it. You need to go for it. And she just, to me, had zero ability to do that. She was continuously backing up. She didn't hold her ground. She seems to have no pop and her strikes at all so opponents just don't respect it you're not backing them up and the volume isn't quite there so these were all things that we broke down the last time uh that she was supposed to fight gian kim because gian kim is quite the opposite you know she's got a 72 inch reach on her which is pretty solid for the division but she's all volume your last time out against jocelyn ever she puts up 78 prior to that against uh, priscilla cachuera landed 170 prior to that against molly mccann landed 122 this is big big volume right she's getting generally on the wrong side of these decisions she's in a lot of close fights she's currently on a four fight losing streak but there's a reason the ufc has not cut this girl despite being one in five in her last six fights is the fact that a lot of these fights are very close and she probably should have won them unfortunately did the judges just aren't signing with her but the volume certainly there uh the striking certainly there the cardio i think is there and this is all good stuff against mandy bum because if she just stands there on the outside she's gonna get chewed up if she tries to clinch up and force this fight to the ground i don't think she's got the the offensive wrestling to just force Kim down. Even if she does, I think Kim probably pops back up. And when this thing gets dirty, that's where Manny Bomb just goes the other way. And, and look at that Priscilla Cachuera fight. Priscilla Cachuera is getting beat up. But at the end of the round, she is throwing elbows and splitting Kim's face open. And the round ends. Kim should win, but they raise Pat Priscilla Cachuera's hand because she went for it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen with Manny Bomb. And as much as I would like to say being in Vegas and having Nick Sick and now a third fight in the UFC... All these things should be good for her. She's not a prospect anymore. I don't see anything from her skills that would suggest that she's like, uh, you know, a specialist in any one area. She doesn't really have any one element of her game that I would say is advanced. And I just don't think that mentally you're able to just turn the corner like that. Kim's been getting a lot of these bum decisions, but against bum, she'll get the right decision. So I think G and Kim probably gets this thing by. Should be unanimous, but you know how this sport goes. It'll be a split or a majority or something stupid, but I think she wins all. 
three rounds. Yeah, I ran this one through the CF dot model, and it just said flat out pass from a betting perspective. Minus one eighty five, yeah. four straight losses for Kim. But yeah, I mean, she should have. I love Priscilla Cachoeira, obviously. She's my girl. Uh, but th- that fight in a different all uh, different judges, three different judges in there score it completely differently. You know what I mean? It's like. It was super greasy. She had 170 significant strikes there. I haven't seen, and that's that's really what it comes down to, is just like there has been a little bit of action coming in on Mandy Bowman. I can understand four-fight losing streak, but it's like she had a competitive striking affair against the current champion of this division too. So it's like she, she can yeah. hang. She can 100% hang at range, and where she's going to edge this fight out should be on volume. Uh, uh, Mandy Baum has got what like 40 significant strikes in both of her matchups here in the UFC Kim can clear 120 130 I mean 80 81.5 on prize picks I still like I like the over there Um, I haven't seen really much of a finishing ability from Baum so over 81 and a half significant strikes for Kim maybe that's how I have my any sort of investment in this fight this week minus 185 it's just not uh I mean, there's 12 fights on the card. I don't have to be invested in all of them. Kim will be the pick, uh, but we move on to greener pastures. We got Gabe Green taking on Brian Battle. Gabe Green, a minus 130 favorite. Brian Battle can be had for plus 110. Who you got? Yeah, see, this one pains me. I'm going to take Brian Battle. He's the underdog. I don't have a whole lot of underdogs on this card, so I need one of them. Brian Battle, hopefully the guy. But what I don't feel good about it is that Gabe Green's supposed to fight Jake Matthews. Jake Matthews gets hurt. Brian Battle jumps into his plot. So is he in shape? Is he ready to go? Uh, He took a beating against Renat Fakhradinov his last time out. I mean a, a, a beating. So, yeah, six months later, again, where's your head at? Where's your health at? Is he in great shape? Was he chomping at the bit, messaging UFC as uh, matchmakers being like, get me on a card? Or is it the fact that they're in Carolina and he's from Carolina, that he was the local guy that took the fight on short notice? None of that bodes particularly well for a Brian Battle pick, but uh, I think he can win this fight. Uh, Gabe Green makes his money on coming forward and just being grimy. He's a grimy type fighter. Um, he likes to try to track down his opponent. He doesn't have great football. Work. He doesn't cut the cage off particularly well, but he'll throw a ton of volume and he'll try to stay in your face. When he fought Ian Gary, those styles are supposed to work against guys like Ian Gary, right? But Ian Gary, again, for as much as people don't like him, and we've already broken down his fight earlier, he moves well laterally and he's fast. And so if he wants to matador a guy like Gabe Green, he's going to be able to do so. And I think he did an excellent job of doing that. Um, how does Gabe Green match up against Brian Battle? Brian Battle moves very well laterally. He fights extremely well off his back foot. And if you look at his fight on the ultimate fighter against Andre Petrovsky. He fights an excellent, excellent fight against a legitimate fighter who's a good wrestler, good grappler, you know, a general all-around threat because of his ability to evade and fight off his back foot. Much of the same as um, the story against Trejan Gore, his official UFC debut, whereas Trejan Gore is more of a power puncher, more of a guy that's going to try to get in your face and put some heavy power on you. And he does an excellent job of moving back and just using that volume. Against Fakradinov, Fakradinov just mauled him with the wrestling. Like, oh my god. God, he got a hold of him. It was game over. He was tossing Brian Battle around like nothing. Brian had zero answer for him, and you could see the confidence leave his body. But but Gabe Green, Gabe, I don't think Gabe Green's using that game plan. I don't think he would be able to even if he wanted to. So what he's probably going to do is chase Brian Battle around. Brian Battle fights well off his back foot, has decent cardio, has decent counter strikes, is the hometown favorite. He'll probably have the crowd behind him, and I could see him just winning this decision. Competitive decision, and this is a competitive 
fine. But Brian Battle, Brian Battle plus 110. If I want more dog money on it, which I would like to have a lot more dog money on it, then I would take Brian Battle by decision. Like, I just don't see him knocking out Gabe Green, who's shown that he's a, a very tough customer, got flatlined by Johan Lioness, and just immediately came back to life, got up and kicked his ass. The guy's tough. The guy's tough. So is Drew Dober. But of course, the MMA God's just out to get me. Anything can happen. I get it. But in this spot, I think like stylistically be a better fight for Brian Battle. So I will take him. Don't feel great about it, but he's the underdog. So what can you expect? My biggest concern with Brian Battle is I don't, this guy can't wrestle Cody. He can't wrestle at all. Gabe Green's not exactly a massive. good. It's not even just that though. Look through the rest of his fights. Taken down twice by Trishan Gore. Taken down twice by Gilbert Urbina. I mean, it's not pretty Cody. Is Gabe Green gonna like one takedown on on you? Uh, like Gabe Green has super super solid durability. Fifteen minute fight. Uh-huh. If he sticks to a bit of a wrestling game plan here, I think it's in the realm of possibility. He's got two takedowns against uh, against Phil Rowe. Uh, took Gary down once, and it was relatively competitive uh, striking affair between the two of them. I don't know, man. Uh, maybe we should just have like a second, a second shoey bet, a one for one on this one. I'll take, I'll take Gabe a Green. Second shoey bet. You know what? You got yourself a deal because I got the f- massive favorite on the first shoey bet. So I'm gonna give you the massive favorite on the second shoey bet. Well, yeah, well, I mean that other one is a three to one bet. <laughs> Paul, I want to hear, this. bro. It's an underdog for underdog. You could be okay? showing up and doing hear. four next episode, just just so people know. I think it's more likely. That it's like a one no, and one, a or I'm doing completely two, likely situation, which is uh, which is in play. I don't know. I just I think Brian Battles wrestling is a big liability for me. Uh, Gabe Green's durability has definitely held up in a, held up in a bunch of fights for him. I think it's gonna be a close competitive fight, but having a little shoey action here uh, keeps it interesting for all parties. All right, and finally we got Jessica Rose Clark taking on Tanera Lisboa. It's a straight pick of now. She was, I mean, I took her at like, and it's not a big bet. I was just beating the line movement at a certain book, but I got it at like plus 147 on Sunday. Um, and the money has been pouring in on on Lisboa. I'm not going to lie, Cody. I don't know much about her except for the fact that she's like a Muay Thai specialist. And Jessica Rose Clark has been, what, armbarred in her last two fights? Like, it has not been a great look. Um, I mean, it was against Edgar and Stolyarenko, who are both very, very solid at, at judo. Both have excellent arm bars, don't get me wrong. Um, it's interesting. I, I don't have enough information about Lisboa. I've got CLV. I'm going to pick Lisboa to, to win the stand-up war here. But, like, do you have, like, a, an inside track? Do you have any info on her takedown or takedown defense ability, because that seems to be the natural path to victory for Jessica Rose Clark here. If she's going to come away victorious. I mean, pull pull the Jocelyn Edwards uh, game plan out and uh, and do that rinse and repeat. Five takedowns. It was really really ugly, but she won a pretty clear uh, unanimous decision there. That that seems to be how these two match up. Um, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, that, that that's exactly it. I, again, we've been talking about all the show about uh, the UFC doing favors. I almost feel like they're trying to help Jesse Jess Rose Clark. Here's somebody that her uh, social media is fire. She has an excellent job of marketing herself, right? I think the UFC knows, hey, this is someone that we can throw on cards that has a good following, that has an interesting enough style. But they've been matching her up with girls that are yeah, good, man. Stephanie Egger, you tossed her to the ground and for 
Unfortunately, she locks up the armbar. Julia Storyenko, the Lithuanian Ronda Rousey, yeah, much of the same. Like she has a ton of wins by armbar, and then grab this one. The thing with this one is that Jesse Jess Rose Clark tapped. The ref didn't really see it right away. Julia held it a little bit long. She broke her arm, right? So she's coming back from a broken arm. You know, how good have you been able to train? How good has it been able to heal? Jesse Jess Rose Clark is thirty-five years old, right? So, yeah. And you're going to get the best version of her? Like, more than likely not. She's coming off a long layoff. She's coming in lay uh, off a layoff due to a significant injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's lost her last two fights. Even the wins, you know, they're fairly low level for the most part. Like, I just think there's enough reason to be like, you know, I wouldn't want to jump into the business. But what she does well is she's physically strong. And she's good at holding up girls against the cage. Pretty much all of her wins is from her just being tougher than their opponent. Her debut win over Paige Van's actually sorry she debuted in the ufc cost me so much money beat beck rawlings and then beat Paige van zandt but just because she's tougher than them she's able to grind them up against the cage and her fight with sarah alpart grinds are real good takes her down it's a pretty good beating on her cardio look good physicality look good again if you follow her social media i suggest you do especially if you like tattoos uh she's jacked man like this girl's very strong very strong legs and i think she fights the proper game plan again she's in las vegas she's got excellent coaches around her she fights the exact same way against jocelyn Edwards. She tried to fight like that against Edgar Stolarenko. It just didn't work because their styles were conducive to take me down. I can grab the arm. You know, I have good grappling. I have better grappling. I have opportunistic submission attempts. Against uh, Lisboa, I don't think you can get a great read on her, but everything that Rose Clark has been struggling with recently is not Lisboa. Lisboa is a striker. She's a Muay Thai striker. She is not a particular, uh, particularly good with the grappling. She's not particularly good off the cage. So Jesse Jess Rose Clark will be able to just fight the game plan that she's been fighting her last four or five fights and instead of having that pushback that she's been getting recently i think she'll have a lot of success now liz boa this is a girl that fought uh valentina shochenko in a muay thai fight back in 2010 right so 13 years ago she's muay thai fight with valentina shochenko dope her mma debut is against norma duma and it's in 2016 right so seven years ago she makes her mma debut but she gets subbed in the first round by norma duma okay then she takes Three years off before beating an 0-0 opponent, who she took deep into the third round. Then she took a full year off after that, 13 months to be exact, before beating another 0-0 opponent. Then the Shooter Brazil 103 fight against Lorani Santos, you can see it. Her grappling's not good. Her physicality's not all that good. Striking's okay, but this is an MMA fight. She loses that fight, and then she just picks up over the next three years since then. She's beaten an 0-0 opponent, an 0-1 opponent, and a 1-4 opponent. That 1-4 opponent, Paul, that she beat in her last last time out which was effectively 13 months ago she beats her late in the second round by submission a mm-hmm. one in four opponent which is not indicative that they're bad you'd have to watch the tape you'd have to see she's operating at a very very low level she is a muay thai striker who's been fighting for since she's 18 years old she's now 32 not super old but over the last like 13 years she's managed to fight six times professionally in mma and a handful of times in muay thai so like the Strength of schedule is not there. The recent tape that you can go back to is not there. And even though she's subbing girls on the regional scene in her last couple, uh, they're very low-level opponents. So now you're going to make a UFC debut, which in itself is very difficult. You're going to take on by far the best opponent you've ever faced, and it's not your preferred type of fight, which would be a striking battle or a terrible grappler that you could out-grapple because your grappling is slightly better than hers. It's a tough fight against Jesse Jess Rose Clark, who's frothing at the mouth to get back in there, wants to compete, physically strong, 
has way more experience and has a winning type of game plan in this particular matchup. So I would have to take Rose Clark even money, but as I say that... You might as well wait. It keep, I mean, like, keeps it, moving, buddy. Yeah, she broke her arm. She's been on for 10 months. She's 35. Her claim to fame is head kicking that little idiot with the face tattoos. Like, ah... What was his name? Plus Julian 100, plus 100 in some spots right now. Like, the market keeps moving in that direction. Like, I have no idea really how it's going to play out. Um, I don't have enough information. I don't think it's you like, can. And one, like the, one girl never fights. The other girl just broke her arm. And, like, it's yeah, it's like she's got a couple submission wins, but it's against people with literally zero experience or negative experience on the regional scene <laughs> in Brazil. It's like, yeah. how does that equate to what, you know, I mean, strength of schedule, it's not even remotely close who's been in there um, with the better fighters. And the one time that Lisboa's been in there with somebody of UFC caliber, she got finished in the first round. So, I mean, it's it's a volatile one. We'll see how it all shakes out. I'll, I'll pick Lisboa because I already – I bet her. I, I steam chased. That's really all it came down to. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, you make a lot of good points. I, I'm not going to be stunned to lose that bet. not going to lie, Cody. All right. Uh, we are just about out of time here. But before we go, Cody, hit him with the PRP. Yeah, it's a chalky, it's a chalk heavy PRP this week. But again, there's a lot of these even money, greasy type fights. So as long as we get the proper bounces, there will be value. But we're gonna go with Jelton Almeida. We're gonna go with Anthony Smith, even money. Daniel Rodriguez, dog number one. We're gonna go with Alex Morono, Court McGee, Carl Williams, Cody Stamen, Carlos Alberg, Natan Levy, Jayun Kim. Brian Battle is dog number two, and then Jesse Jestrose Clark is another even money. So two underdogs, two even monies, and eight favorites. Which one of those eight favorites will shit in the apple pie? I'm waiting to find out myself. But hopefully we got them lower on the list, or just nobody does it. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, um, outside of that, yeah, tough, close, competitive card. A lot of greasy spots, but we love MMA. This is what we do. Uh, if you don't want to watch, or if you think fights are fixed, or if you're down on your luck and you're down on yourself... Maybe it wasn't for you, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm excited about this. The Bellator card on the Friday, it's weak as shit. It's another one of these European Bellator cards. So I don't know that I want to like waste my time tape studying it too, too deep. But when I said the whole thing about like, this is our thing about UFC, greasy card on a Saturday, it's also my thing, greasy Bellator card on a Friday. So lots of spots, lots of opportunities. Don't feel like you got to force your hand in any one spot. But uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully this is the week. I always say it, but hopefully this is the one, my man. Dude, like the betting on MMA, there's never been more opportunity. What was the one? There was a card last week. I actually I found a book that was like way off XMMA? market. Yeah, that was Battle easy. on the Beach. That was oh. super easy. They had this oh. one book had like they had will fight. They were making totals for fights that like literally the market had no totals, and it was um, Kakramano fight and the Justin Scoggins, my boy. Um, I was just yeah. like, I don't really know who these guys they're fighting are, but I think these fights seem like they're pretty big setups. So, like, I had those guys parlayed, and then I had fight doesn't start round three in both of them. That was super, super easy money. And, I mean, that, that card was super hilarious. It's like, you know, a lot of the times people are like, oh, like they're like fighting in a gymnasium. It's like they were actually fighting in a gymnasium. When you, shot, when you saw the wide shot, that was not, uh, you know, it wasn't like Ryzen or or any of like you know the one or KSW or anything like where it's like that's a big show with uh, you know serious production, but I enjoyed it. It was uh, I mean I probably enjoyed it because I degenned and gambled and and won money on it to be perfectly honest. But uh, it, it you can you can way... bet on so much stuff these days. Yeah. It's never 
I think the, uh, if I'm going to give complete honesty to some people, it's just like, and this is not like, not everyone's going to want to do it. It's like, it's kind of less about like some picks these days. And it's just like, if you are able to have multiple books and price shop, you know, the guys that you want to have, you're going to give yourself a leg up in a lot of situations. Some of these books, especially for these lower, lower end cards, move very, very slowly to where the market it goes. That doesn't necessarily, the market moving doesn't necessarily mean that the market is right. But a lot of the times, except for like Invicta, the steam in that has been woof, horrible. Um, well, there's we'll talk all, to Pat Mayo and he'll have a theory about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Invicta is the biggest moneymaker for his theory of all times. It is. It is. Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, like there's there's never been more opportunity out there. So it's like... You don't have to get in. I know you do your PRP, you do all of that type of stuff. You don't have to be invested in 12 fights in the UFC when there's like, I'm on best fight odds right now. There's Aries FC, they've got like 12 fights there. There's EFC Worldwide, there's Bellator, and then there's the UFC. There's a KSW card on same day as the UFC. On the same day, there's RFA available. It's like there's lots of money making opportunities, spots. And it's just like, and frankly, the UFC cards aren't as hot as they used to be. Let's be perfectly honest. The, the a lot of the talent has spread out over the over the uh, over the MMA landscape these days. And uh, yeah, don't feel like you only have to be a UFC specialist. You can you can spread out a little bit. I mean, for me, what works best is is price shopping in between different shops. Like you'll find in some of these regional shops like big time discrepancies in terms of the pricing. So I don't know. That's just some food for thought before we get out of here. I think that's probably it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show for Cody Safdick, producer Megan on Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.